0: Every day, this market finds a new way to be ludicrous, including this wild session where the Dow only gained 52 points, S&P advanced 0.32%, and the Nasdaq gained 0.64%. Today's craziness, besides the fact that the market opened down big off of weakest in Europe before rallying hard when sellers dried up, as the two markets are no longer analogous to each other, well, here's what they went nuts for. They went up nuts for Fixer-uppers! And you know what they also did? They punished the house of pain. consistent companies that are actually well-run. Now, what do I mean when I say this? Uh, 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 that the buyers went nuts? Okay, not one, not two. But three formerly challenged companies reported today, and their stocks were rewarded with the kinds of gains that we normally see only with takeovers. Tiffany! The stock soared 23%. Ralph Lauren! Stock added 14%. Lowe's jumped 10%. Ah. Meanwhile, consistent companies like Costco and Home Depot, both far superior in terms of long-term execution, they saw their stocks actually decline. Why? I think it's because investors needed to raise money from the steady, superior growers to buy the fixer-uppers. Consider Many a clever hedge fund was Long Home Depot and Short Lowe's going into this quarter this morning, assuming that the company would disappoint yet again. But Lowe's has a new CEO coming in, Marvin Ellison, late of JCPenney, and before that, Home Depot, where he learned what it takes to improve hard goods execution, even as he failed to work that magic at Penny, as it's most obviously, well, I mean, it's apparel and makeup, and the guy's a hardware kind of guy. On top of that, We just learned that notorious activist Bill Ackman has made a billion-dollar bet on Lowe's. Now, here's the thing. Lowe's actually missed the numbers. After today's action, Home Depot is the much better buy. Yet Lowe's is now in la-la land as investors have tired of humdrum companies with amazing performance. They'd rather take their chances with a risky situation that's got more on the cut. How about these staggering gains in Tiffany and Ralph Lauren? Now, those runs are much more justifiable. Both companies delivered incredibly positive numbers as they've made extraordinary strides in improving their execution in a lightning period of time. Early last October, Tiffany brought in Alessandro Bogliolo. Okay, he's the former CEO of Diesel and before that, a 16 year veteran of Uber luxury chain, Bulgari. Now, I gotta tell you, Bulgari is a store that I always try to rush by when I'm with my wife, as the prices are by far the highest of any chain in the Short Hills Mall. Well, talk about the right guy for the job. Almost overnight, he's transformed what was once the stodgiest and least up to date luxury retailer around into a growth powerhouse. Tiffany earned a buck 14. Street was looking for 83 cents. 7% same-store sales. Street looking for 2.6. Those are shockingly better reports. But the numbers only tell a fraction of the story. It had been ages since Tiffany refreshed its product line. So, Bogliolo introduced Paper Flowers. It's a new jewelry collection that's staggeringly beautiful. I say that because it's what we gave my wife's daughter for graduation this weekend. We were at a fundraiser a month ago, and my wife asked a young female CEO sitting next to her if she had any ideas for a graduation present for her daughter. The CEO said, how about Tiffany's? I mean, when my wife balked because of the boring, played out nature of the chain, the CEO told us, oh, there's been a total refresh. One look at the website. Go there right now and you'll see what I mean. Tells you all you need to know. Go to the search bar, type in paper flowers and ask yourself, is that Tiffany. By the way, before Bogliolo, Tiffany had a pathetic online business. That's obviously changed too. Then there's the new slogans. They really don't sound like anything from Tiffany of old. Slogans like Believe in Love, which Bogliolo cites as one of the reasons for double-digit growth in engagement rings. Sales were strong all over the place, but New York and China got big shoutouts. Bogliolo doled out credit and was incredibly self-effacing. Talk about how the whole segment did well with retail, not just Tiffany's. Stock deserved a work to- uh, today, although uh, 23% up, I don't know, it seems a little, let's say, in excess. But Boglio is a real deal. Hey, speaking of real deals, Patrice lovett he's the new CEO of Ralph Lauren, put on a commanding performance, posted a seven-cent earnings beat of an 83-cent basis, same-store sales that only shrank by 1%, constant currency, while she was looking for a 2.3% decline. I told you these were fixer-uppers. Louvet took over roughly a year ago when the brand was very much ailing. He planned his plan to turn things around, he wanted to elevate the brand, improve quality of sales, distribution of product, evolve product marketing and the shopping experience, and expand the digital and international presence while driving productivity. In plain English, he wanted to improve the execution. Now that's precisely what the venerable brand needed. Ralph Lauren's style and taste are as impeccable as ever, but the place just wasn't well run under the previous CEOs. Louvet started by shutting down a quarter of the company's department stores' points of distribution, along with 31 directly-operated stores. Brilliant! Before he came in, the merchandise was just too widely available to loot to the brand. Plus, he refreshed 80 of the chain's top department store sections' new fixtures, lighting, tighter, uh, a lighter aesthetic, but instant better performance. Louvet's created excitement where there had been none. For example, he's done some limited-edition stuff like the snow beach, literally sold out within hours. He also embraced digital, which had been a weak point for the chain, which is a critical piece of the new global growth strategy, something that helped produce 25% growth in mainland China. Finally, he's speeding up the time to market of new designs, which, while still slow at nine months, will soon be going to six months and then hopefully three months. That will put Ralph Lauren on par with many of the fashion forward European retailers. That's a much faster turnaround time. It's huge in that business. I know these changes sound boring, but they illustrate that the problem here was never the style of clothing. It was always the execution, something this new CEO is finally improving. Hence, the stock's 14 percent. That said, while Tiffany and Ralph Lauren did incredible things, it's still tough to watch the consistent company stocks languish. But what really hurts are the failed turnaround stories, or at least the ones that that got clobbered today. Uh, Target. Down 5%. Sin? Company wants to grow its online business faster, something Wall Street's been advocating for ages. But expanding online costs money. Wall Street hates spending. There's just no pleasing Wall Street, is there? I think the fixer-upper story could have legs. Incredibly inconsistent retailer Williams-Sonoma, so often a disappointment, reported better-than-expected quarter this Friday evening and stock is soaring in after-hours trading. Okay, let's talk about the other side. General Electric. When CEO John Flannery spoke at a conference today, he seemed to indicate that the turn at GE is not yet at hand. Nobody said this was going to be a quick fix, but, I mean, did we think the company might be further along than this? Yes. To be fair to Flannery, when he took over last summer, he had no way to know how bad things were. We now know that the previous CEO put a very good face on a very bad situation. And man, am I ever being diplomatic. Flannery's having a hard time writing this, this leaky ship. Here's the bottom line. Today's action tells me that you need to keep your eyes open for a change because, boy, oh, boy, has it ever been rewarded. Or to put it another way, instead of being so blown away by the new Tiffany designs, I should have been blown away by how the stock had failed to keep up with the changes going into the quarter. And while this move seems extreme, it's hard to dislike a market that can get this excited about an earnings report. So excited that if you didn't know better, you would think that Tiffany got a takeover bid, not just a better-than-expected quarter. Rich in Pennsylvania, rich! Yo, Jimmy, Jimmy, how you doing? Rich, I am doing real good. How about you? Fantastic, fantastic. I value your opinion uh, on a protolab 3D printing uh, symbol PRLB. Listen, we do 3D printing around here. We do one thing. We do HP, and we never deviate from that. Because we like the pros. Let's go to Kathy in Indiana. Kathy. Hey, Kramer. You are currently coaching three generations of my family
1: with our po- portfolios, and your enthusiasm keeps my kids engaged, and I love that. Thank you. I was at work the other day, Kramer, and I got a text from my son, Kyle, who's a sophomore in high school. The All text right. reads, the text reads,
0: Activision Blizzard is launching a new game. It's going to be huge. I replied, think I should buy the stock again? He came back with, they are adding a
1: game mode like Fortnite, but it's not free. It's Call of Duty Black Ops 4. Look into it. We are club members, Kramer, so both my sons, Kyle and Evan, knew why we bought the stock and why we sold it. Is this new game, along with Overwatch, Esports, and the Hasbro partnership I read about today, enough for us to fire up a new
0: position. All right, Kathy, this is absolutely a great question. She's talking about being members of the ActionLarsPlus.com club, and yes, I think it is big. As a matter of fact, we did, we made some money, but we didn't get the big enchilada like you're about to get, because we were concerned about Fortnite. But as strauss Zelnick told us just the other day from Take 2, Fortnite did not wreck the game and expanded the business. Activision Blizzard's a winner, We left too soon, said that in a a note just today to club members. Keep your eyes open to changes in solid companies, people. Their stocks do catch on and catch up Man, money tonight. There are plenty of feelings when it comes to President Trump's policy on trade. Tonight, I'm taking the emotions out of the equation when I go off the charts. Then pack your bags and an extra bottle of sunscreen, because I'm sailing down with the CEO of Carnival Corporation to see if the company can continue to deliver. PayPal, Square, Visa, MasterCard, big names in the payment space. But I'm talking to an unsung hero that is up 377% in five years. And it's not done. You want to know the stock? <laughs> I thought so. That's why you have to stick with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad
0: We all know it's an emotional market where everyone's hanging on the edge of their seat in anticipation of the next development. The trade talks with China. First, the trade war is on hold and we're making accommodations for ZTE, the big Chinese smartphone maker. Then today, the president says there's no deal on ZTE and the negotiations are, quote, too hard to get done, at least the way they're currently doing it. When the word is good, we go higher. When it's bad, we go lower like this morning before we regained our senses and stopped freaking out about China or the weakness in the European markets, which really don't relate to ours. Don't get me wrong. The president's trade policy is probably the single most important issue facing the market. But I don't think we're very good at processing this information, at least not this year. Every time we hear something positive, we become ebullient. Every time we hear something negative, we act like the sky is falling. The problem with that, in the stock market, emotional decisions tend to be bad decisions. When you listen to your feelings, you end up panicking right near the bottom, as many did today, or going all out near the top. So we need to do everything we can to check our emotions at the door. And that's why every week we like to play off the charts. Sometimes the charts will mislead you, no doubt about it, but a good technician can give you some valuable empirical touchstones. So tonight we're going back to the well with Mark Chakin, the legendary technician who's the founder and CEO of Chakin Analytics. If you recognize the name, it's because Chakin invented some of the most important tools in technical analysis. The accumulation distribution line, the Chaykin volume indicator, the Chaykin oscillator, and Chakin money flow. These have become very important tools of the trade, and they were all created by one guy who happens to have a very good track record. The three weeks ago, the last time we checked in with Chakin he recommended three stocks based on his own particular formula for identifying winners. His picks, Marathon P, EOG Resources, and General Electric. Since then, Marathon's up 8.2%, trouncing the S&P 500, which rallied 3% over the same period. EOG's rallied 4.6%. But if you waited for a pullback down to around 110, like Chekin recommended, the stock gave you, uh, uh, gave you that opening just three days later you'd be up nearly 10% from those levels. GE is the only one that's currently underperforming. While the stock was up 9% as of yesterday, the darn thing gave back nearly all of its gains today. After CEO John Flannery gave a poorly poorly received presentation. I mean, really poorly. He told us that earnings from GE's power division would remain stagnant this year. No surprise that their natural gas turbine business would remain weak through 2020. Eh, not a shocker. Unfortunately, When asked whether he stands behind the dividend, which currently yields 3.39%, Flannery gave a wishy-washy answer that basically boils down to, it depends. Still, two out of three ain't bad. And if you'd taken profits on GE yesterday, you would have a phenomenal trade. How did Shaker identify these three stocks? He uses three key indicators to determine when something might be worth buying. For example, take a look at the daily chart of Marathon Pete, which you know is a name I really like. Well, first, there's the chicken money flow. That's the CMF. You see it. We use it all the time. Measures the level of buying and selling pressure in any given name. It tells you whether the big boys are accumulating or dumping. Then there's the chicken relative strength index, Okay. Um, And that's uh, which tells you how a stock's been performing compared to the S&P 500. Remember, it's relative, Okay, over the past six months. Finally, at the very bottom, there's the Chaikin Power Gauge, which is a proprietary tool that distills 20 different fundamental and technical inputs, fundamental, into a reading that can range from very bearish red to very bullish green. Now, when Chaykin recommended Marathon earlier this month, all three of these gauges were giving you positive readings. So has anything changed? Well, based on this chart, he recommends holding on to Marathon here, uh, but he wouldn't buy at these levels. When you look at Chaykin's overbought, oversold index, well, uh, you can see the stock has become pretty overbought here. Many it's come up very far, very fast. Good if you owned it, not so good if you're thinking about buying it now. So if you don't own any, Chaykin says, wait for a pullback. Too overbought. By the way, the same goes for the next chart for EOG Resources. This is one of the best oil companies in America. It's been pulling back, but he wants to see more of a dip. As for General Electric today, I mean, just you know, it's overbought. Okay, GE, now this is different. Today, he thinks, and this is really contrary to everything I heard today, he thinks you're getting the kind of pullback that he wants to see. So rather than freaking out about this decline or waiting for Steve Tusa from J.P. Morgan to say something real negative tomorrow morning, which I think he probably will, Chakin says you should take advantage of this and do some buying. So what else is Chakin like here? <laughs> I know. <laughs> buying. All right, everybody hates GE, so maybe that's an interesting take. Now, this is a new one for us from Chakin It's Akamai Technologies. Remember, these guys help other companies uh, to smoothly and securely deliver content over the web. It's the security feature that I really like. Akamai started as mostly a streaming video play, and they're still very much the king of that business. But the company also expanded into new areas like cloud security. Now, Akamai stock has really been roaring lately, ever since Elliott Management, the very smart activist hedge fund run by Paul Singer, took a big stake in the company last December. But for Chaikin, it's all about his three key indicators. There's that Chaikin money flow. It's moved positive within, uh, into positive territory in recent weeks, meaning there's institutional buying. The Chaikin relative strength, it's been looking good for months. Okay, Relative strength versus the SPI. And the Chaikin power gauge which is flashing a big green down here. And that's terrific. However, Akamai is very much overbought here. Once again, the overbought index, which is why Chaykin thinks you should wait for a pullback, maybe between 72 and 74. That's down more than three bucks from this level. My view, I like Akamai here. We recommend it at 73 in mid-March. But I'd like it even more into weakness because I believe in Elliott Management's ability to take this business to the next level. Now, Chicken's methodology also points out that when a stock might need to be sold, which brings us to the daily chart of Walmart. What's the problem here? Well, Walmart reported a solid top and bottom line last week. I mean, really, I like the beat very much. The stock keeps getting slammed. At this point, the chicken money flow has spent months in negative territory. Very bad, OK? Uh, it's creeped up a bit since the quarter. It's pretty much flat here. Meanwhile, the chicken dollar strength is very negative, OK? Look at that. That's soundly negative. reflecting the fact that the stock's been getting pounded. Chicken power gauge, uh, that mix of the 20 different factors, it's in the red bearish sell. My view, I like Walmart long term. But Checking may be right about the short term. Wall Street really dislikes the fact that the company is spending so much money to grow its business, including that acquisition of Flipkart, the Indian e-commerce play. I think these bets are ultimately going to pay off, but it could take time. And while you uh, wait until you have, uh, let's say, something good happens, you got to worry about the trade war with China, because so much of what they sell is made in China and would probably have to go up in price. Bottom line, the charges interpreted by Mark Chakin suggest that you should buy Akamai here and sell Walmart. Given his track record, I think you need to take his advice very seriously especially on the stock of Akamai. Let's go to Rob in North Carolina. Rob. Booyah, Jim, from North Carolina. Booyah. Thanks for helping the average investor. Thank you. My, my stock is AutoZone. My question, after reporting great earnings and a slight increase in things store sales, I watched my stock get crushed. Based on your show last night, I think it's a broken stock. I think people are underestimating the impacts of an unseasonably cold quarter that delayed hobbyist repairs. I think this cold quarter could cause an uptick in broken parts, adding to the deferred repairs, better weather, and better quarters ahead. Rob, Rob, what was the stock? What was the stock, Rob? Cut it oh, okay. Listen, I was on that conference call, and I, I am in agreement with you. I mean, come on. The weather was really bad. It was ridiculous. It was held to account. The and the one thing, Rob, that you know, since you were on the call, was they did talk about having to pay their employees more, the auto owners. And you know what? I think that that was over, uh, it, that really was overly punished. I'm with you. And by the way, AAP is not as good as AZO. All right, let's just say it. Shaw in New Jersey, Shaw. Jim, thank you for having me on the show. Of course. I own WTI at very
1: low levels. As you may know, the stock has had an amazing run over the last two years. Yeah. I mean, this company has so many uh, global events to consider, such as Iran, Venezuela and other countries who put a lid on their oil output. And all all of a sudden, OPEC came out recently and said that they're going to ramp up production to compensate for these countries. And then you have vacation season coming with right. high demand for gas, and so on and so on. So, Jim, uh, I'm I'm conflicted as to whether I should sell and take. Well, what's a your basis?
0: What, I- what's your basis, uh, Shaw? Why didn't you pay for it? Oh, okay. Well, here's what I would advise to show. I did not get to speak to him directly uh, and, and ask the question directly. But what he should do is just take his basis out and then play with the house money. Now, why do I say that? This stock is up 133 percent. I can't tell him not to take anything off the table. That would be reckless and irresponsible of me, even if I like the situation. And there are better oil companies, including EOG, which we mentioned when we were doing, doing Mr. Chicken stock. Tonight's chartist has a terrific track record, so when he says buy Akamai and sell Walmart, that's something to take seriously. Much more man money ahead, including my exclusive, with Carnival, the CEO celebrating five years at the helm come July. I'm asking him the lessons he's learned over the years. Then Toll Brothers lost nearly 10% of its value yesterday after reporting. Wondering what's causing the decline? I'm going to give you my take. And boy, the home builders are rough here. And the financial technology space has revolutionized how the world drops coin. As the space becomes more crowded, I'm sitting down with the CEO of one of the big winners, Global Payments, to see if it could pay it forward. So stick with Kramer. the price of oil roars higher investors tend to freak out about the cruise lines As fuel is one of their largest costs. And they're also concerned about the overcapacity in the industry, too. But you know what? There is so much more to these stories. Take Carnival Corporation, CCL, the world's largest cruise line. Under the leadership of CEO Arnold Donald, Carnival has undergone one of the most remarkable turnarounds I've ever seen. And it has to do with execution and awareness. And these issues are much deeper and more positive than any concerns involving fuel or overcapacity. Now, earlier today, we got a chance to check in with Arnold Donald on one of his ships, the Horizon. Take a look. Arnold, it has been almost five years. How has this industry changed and how have you changed this company?
2: Well, first of all, I want to welcome you aboard the beautiful Carnival Horizon. Thank you. And uh, we've got a little acknowledgement here for Mad Money on the big screen, Can't which, be that which you ever? absolutely deserve. <laughs> thank so thank you. you for being on board. Of this course. is our newest ship in the Carnival fleet, and we're very excited about her. And as you know, the naming is occurring uh, later today. Right. So in any event, uh, five years. It's been five years. Man, it seems like only one to be honest with you. But it's been a fantastic five years. The industry's changed a good little bit. We've gone from languishing in the stock market, as you know, and languishing in performance as an industry to really outperforming as an industry. And of course, um, we think we've had a lot to do with that here at the Carnival Corporation. So we've more than doubled earnings, more than doubled Um, our return on invested capital and more than doubled our share price in in the last five years. Well, I'm
0: glad you brought it up because this is a chance for our viewers to get in. I've always waited until we get a 3% (laughs) yield. It's never down there. It's always been at the high every time we talk. This is the best value I have ever seen, and they are misperceptions. I think they are, let's just check them off. People feel that uh, the rates haven't stayed the same. Uh, They've been going down. Totally wrong,
3: right? No,
2: totally wrong. No, our yields are going up. They've been going up every year they're going up again this year as we've um, shared in our last quarterly earnings report and uh, so race yields are good because we've created more demand than there is capacity and that's what our job is and because we exceed our guests expectations whether it's on carnival or any one of our other nine world leading cruise line brands
0: the Demand that you've created, people don't understand. When I first met you, you said, You know what, we're going to do some original TV programming. (laughs) I said, Wow, I mean, good luck with that.
2: How's that working? It's working great. You know, we now have five um, TV programs that we produce in the U.S., we also have two in the U.K., and we have some activity in Italy as well. But the five shows um, on on several networks and cable, and we have our own digital network, Ocean View, which people can download, and we have additional digital. Um, streaming up you know viewing opportunities uh, for folks on that
0: people are all caught up on Wall Street about the idea that there's some of your compadres have taken on added too many ships you said famously a cruise is not a cruise is not a cruise explain that
2: well you're right now on the carnival horizon and this is um, our carnival brand you know Shaquille O'Neal is the CFO but chief fun officer and so this is a very social brand where everybody on board wants to party and and engage and socialize with each other. If you take Seaborn, our ultra luxury you know, cruise line, that one's very different. Everybody there wants to be pampered, and right. they want adventures, but it's, it's a, a different kind of an experience, and each brand is very different, and all the other lines that we don't own are also different, so lots of different differentiation across the various brands. The share price uh, is something that
0: you obviously must think is very cheap. You've been a gigantic <laughs> buyer of your own shares right here.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, we've been able to return through dividends, right. you know, several billions of dollars over the last, you know, five years. And then, of course, through stock buyback, we've, per, you know, bought back over $3 billion worth of our own uh, shares. And we'll continue to do that on an opportunistic basis. On the conference call, a lot of
0: talk about Eastern Caribbean not doing up to the expectations, but that's not really what drives your business. It's a small part of it.
2: You know, look, we go to 700 ports around the world. <laughs> uh... even in the caribbean while people are saying eastern caribbean is not meeting expectations the Eastern caribbean is up over the prior year so it's still a better year and the eastern caribbean our ships are full and people are having a great time you know, going to the eastern caribbean but of course we go to the western caribbean and the southern caribbean and we go to the mediterranean and we go to antarctica and we go to alaska and you know we're all over the place the baltic so when you think of all the dispersed um, areas of the world you can visit we have hundred and five ships thousands of itineraries. Um, Any one market is a small piece, but the Eastern Caribbean is actually doing better than it did last year.
0: Now, uh, when we last talked, China was an idea, okay? (laughs) China's much more than an idea now, right?
2: Yeah, well, China someday will be the largest cruise market in the world. It's in their five-year plan. So if if cruising is in their five-year plan or anything that's in their five-year plans, they're going to make it happen. And so we just want to be a part of that. And we partnered, as you know, with CSSC and the Sovereign Front, CIC, to establish a domestic cruise line there and uh, to build the first ship in a Chinese shipyard. And so that's in 2023. Meanwhile, we have a number of ships home ported there, and our ships are, are doing well. It's a challenging market, but it's embryonic. We are teeny tiny in terms of accessing a total number of uh, travelers that are from China.
0: Uh, One of the bears tells me, everyone who's gonna take a cruise has taken one, but I think it's (laughs) kind of underpenetrated.
2: Every market in the world, Jim, is underpenetrated, including the United States. All the cabins in the world add up to less than 2% of the hotel rooms, less than 2%. One of every two people who cruise, cruise on one of our nine world world-leading Cruise Line brands. So our competition, as I've told you before, is actually land-based vacations It's not other cruise lines and because we're chasing the other ninety eight percent not the one percent we don't have of the two percent penetration
0: my, my daughter takes a cruise why because of Instagram Millennials <laughs> right they love the backdrop I mean
2: that backdrop, but isn't it something yeah the Millennials um, boomers Gen Xers they all love cruising but Millennials do over index on cruising primarily like your daughter because they're more interested in experience than they are in things and cruise is all about experience in the human spirit.
0: Now let's deal with uh, the numbers. Strong pricing, uh, lower costs, yeah. and big onboard spending.
2: Yeah, well, onboard spending, of course, people say, well, what else can you sell people? We don't want to sell anybody anything, okay? okay. What we want to do is understand what they want. They're on vacation. If right. you give them what they want, they'll buy it. So our challenge is just to understand what people really want and make it available to them. So we just make things available. And onboard spending in the 45 year history of this company, onboard spending has increased every year except one. No matter what the economy was, what else was going on, onboard spending has increased and it'll continue to increase in the future.
0: Some of that is because you've embraced technology. I know that you you actually addressed the Consumer Electronics Show, yeah. and you have a, a medallion system that makes it so it kind of anticipates what you want.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We were fortunate enough to give the mm-hmm. keynote at the Consumer Electronics Show a year ago, mm-hmm. and um, we did that off our Ocean platform, which then features the Ocean medallion. It's a little uh, device that you can carry in your pocket, put on a necklace, put on a, a wristband or whatever, and it's like a license plate. It identifies you, and then it makes your experience customized for you. You go up to a bar, the bartender knows your name, knows what drink you have, you order the drink, somebody sees the whale, you're in Alaska, someone sees the whale off the bow of the ship, you go out to see the whale, the drink will come to you. So it's a very customized, personalized experience. And in the end, that's what people today are looking for.
0: Well, it sounds like that you, uh, like many of the more uh, forward-thinking CEOs, have embraced big data.
2: Yeah, well big data is a part of it, right. but this is almost now moving to that other thing everybody talks about, machine intelligence and artificial intelligence, because it's a learning system that looks across a population and is able to predict what you may want next. Right now is um, being introduced on our Princess brand, uh, that's the one we're leading with, and all of our other brands, including Carnival, are experimenting with other technologies. But we're not about technologies, we're about hospitality, so all these technologies are intended to enhance the guest experience. Because we have one job. Our job is to exceed guest expectations. Well, you sure do that. I want to thank you so much. That's Arnold Donnelly, the president and CEO
0: of Carnival Corp. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. When the market turns against a particular industry, you need to pair yourself for the house of pain. For example, while the home builders bounce today, the group is very much in the crosshairs of the bears. Look at Toll Brothers, one of the best builders in the world. Toll reported a widely paying quarter yesterday, and its stock got eviscerated, losing 9.5% of its value in a single session, fell from 43 to 39. Oh boy, that's a hefty punishment. As told it already tumbled from fifty-two dollars since its peak in January. Then again, last August it was at 36 bucks. So we're basically just repealing the move from late last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. What caused the decline? Toll made some comments about increased costs for labor and for materials. They also had some delayed closings on 15 homes in California, but they saw some real weakness in higher-end properties in New York City, where the market has softened because of overbuilding. On the other hand, though, this is an amazing time for home builders. As co-founder and Chairman Bob Toll told us in the conference call, and I quote, jobs are plenty full, and employment is low, wages are rising, existing home price appreciation providing the equity for customers to buy new homes. Homeownership and household formation rates are increasing, while supply remains very Constraints. end quote. Wow, doesn't that sound pretty good? But, you know, the stock had been up for four straight days going into the report, and much of yesterday's decline was simply repealing that. But you know what? Most important, the analysts were almost all negative about the stock, even though the secular themes that Bob Toll mentioned are pretty unassailable. So we got to ask ourselves, what makes these analysts just hate this stock? Why are they so negative? That's because the analysts have developed an alternate universe theory about the home builders, As they see it, interest rates are rising, and that's going to crush this business. Doesn't matter what Toll Brothers can show, that's not the case. They can't explain why it's not the case, uh, even though rates went down today. To the analysts, you see the die's been cast. At the same time, they're convinced that raw costs will just keep getting worse no matter what. Same with labor. I think this is very much a a once-burned-twice-size situation. In the back of their minds, I bet these home analysts see a 2005-2006 situation developing where Toll simply didn't see the top coming. That's a shame because if you go back to their conference calls leading up to the housing crisis, Bob Toll definitely did see the dislocation coming. He repeatedly excoriated the marketplace for being too hot. We're just not getting that read now. If the price of lumber were to go down, the whole story would be different. Given that the run in lumber has a lot to do with NAFTA politics, well, it doesn't seem so far-fetched that lumber won't go down. It it can go down. Finally, if Toll Brothers really believed things were dire, then it would never have been such a voracious buyer of its own stock right here. They've shrunk the stare count by 14% since 2014. That's a huge statement, given that historically, Toll actually hasn't been very aggressive about buying its stock back at all. So what can you do? If you own a stock like Toll here, well, you're fighting the Wall Street playbook. That playbook says to sell the home builders when rates are rising. End of story. But I think this is an unusual situation where a roaring economy means that Toll's future may be brighter than its past. The problem is, even if toll can deliver excellent numbers, most investors will just keep waiting for something bad to happen anyway. Toll doesn't deserve this kind of treatment, but as Clint says an unforgiven deserves got nothing to do with it. It's so hard to buck this kind of negative trend that all I can say is if you have to let toll stock come down before you can try to make a stand. What can change this direction? Three things. Time, lumber, and labor costs. You could get a reversal of lumber. Labor's iffy. But when it comes to time, that means you have to wait till the next quarter. In short, as much as I like Toll Brothers, the bears clearly have the upper hand right here, and they'll be foolish to fight them tooth and nail, which is why we say wait for Toll stock to come down to lower levels before pulling the trigger. Stick with Craig.
1: Tomorrow. Kick off the trading day was Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
0: It's exhausting because it's just not logical. I mean, you know what? This is it, David. Peace, live long and prosper. It's not logical. Oh, got um, it, Spock, right. Spock was logical.
1: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
0: Up, Play the and then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Skate, Daddy, time for the lighting round. going we'll to start with Mike, Mike, Mike in Michigan. Mike, booyah, Jim. How are you? Mike, I am doing well. How about you? I'm excellent in sunny Michigan. My wife and I are uh, holding on to a couple thousand shares of Sirius and. Average price about four fifty a share. Wondering if we should you buy more. Now so, who has been consistently behind the stock ever since buy, four? Buy, 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 was it, buy, it Mr. Minoo? No, it was buy, buy, me. Buy, 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 buy. I'm not backing away. Let's go to Bessie in Illinois. Bessie.
3: Hi, Jim. Hey, Bess. I'm um, from Chicago. You're the best. Thank you for all your
0: wisdom. Thank you. And I Jim, love that praise. I need it. What's up? Um, Jim,
3: I I'm thinking about Tiva. What do you uh, think? Hey, you know up?
0: what? I have to say this. Go it, go it's far. had a nice comeback. I think the bottom's been reached, but that doesn't make me want to pull the trigger. Let's go to Jake in Georgia. Jake. How you doing, Jim? Booyah. Booyah. I'm a new investor in the market, and I wanted to know what your thoughts were on uh, IQ. Oh, man. You know, when it comes to China, what do we like? We like Baidu. We like Alibaba. We like Baozan. And that is it. The rest. <sighs> Sanjay in Michigan. Sanjay. Hi, Jim. Professor Sanjay. Investor, how are you? Okay, how are you? Good. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Okay. Uh, I bought some Blue Apron, you know, after the IPO went down yeah. like right now, 5.30 last year, then sold it at three ninety. kept a little bit on my portfolio. Then
1: it went way down to 172 Correcto. in some in March. Right. And I picked up. I picked up a lot, like ten thousand in uh, end of March at okay.
0: 194. I actually just sold half of it today because it started okay, to go down. Okay, that makes but sense. Still make some money, yeah. yeah. Well, look, I, look. The stock is bottom. But you know what? I gotta have a thesis to own something. I don't have an a, the- a thesis. Don't buy. Don't buy. Keep trimming on the way up. Jack in Florida. Jack. Hi, Jim. My question is on Shopify. Oh boy, everyone decided that this Adobe acquisition of Magento killed Shopify. I think Shopify is not that easily killed. I actually think you can continue to own the stock. How about we go to Pete in Texas? Pete. Oh, hi, Jim. Hey, Uh, I'm on your show. Thank you. Been watching for many years, and thanks for all that you do for us. My question is inside corporation. Well, Pat, I got to tell you, I shouldn't be allowed to opine on it. I thought that that new drug that they have was going to be a winner. The stock keeps going down. I think it's an inexpensive stock because it's got great products, but no one believes me. So, Pat, I got to tell you, I'm not the call. I think we have time for another. We're going to go to Matthew in Indiana. Matthew. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thanks for my call. My stock continues to outpace the sector. E-Trade Financial, buy or hold? No, man, they are in the sweet spot. you got to be That's the right time for this stock. And that, leisure and of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD
0: Ameritrade. Your viewers know that I'm a big fan of the payment space and with good reason. Hey, look, lately Visa and MasterCard have caught fire. But tonight I want to focus on a lesser known part of the industry that hasn't been keeping pace with the credit card companies lately. Global Payments, GPN for all you home gamers. Global Payments is what's known as a merchant acquirer. They're the ones who sign up retailers to credit card networks, enabling merchants to accept electronic payments. Basically, they own the client relationships in this business and they get two to three percent cut from every transaction. On top of that, Global Payments has some exposure to e-commerce cross-border payments, gambling-related solutions. Most of them, they're a merchant acquire. Now, Global Payments reported a strong quarter roughly three weeks ago. Not only did they beat Wall Street's ex- uh, sales and earnings estimates, Kupy also raised its full-year forecast for both the top and bottom lines. Their business accelerated nicely, double-digit organic growth. Yet yeah, while the stock has been a fantastic long-term performer, up 377% over the last five years, it's been lagging behind the credit card names of late, only rallying about 9% since I recommended in early November. Makes no sense. Deserves much more. So let's take a closer look with Jeff Sloan, the CEO of Global Payments, to learn more about his company and where it's headed. Mr. Sloan, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Thanks. you. Thank, Thank you for coming having. on, Jeff. All right, here's my thinking. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. But you've spoiled Wall Street. You have mm. had much faster growth than everybody. And so when you report much faster growth than everybody, people say, oh, OK, well, that's fine. That's Global Payments. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about your stock right now.
3: Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think markets go in cycles. You talk right. about this all the time. Sometimes everything is good. Sometimes everything is not enough. And I think that's exactly where we are. We try to focus, Jim, on how distinctive our technologies are and distinctive our distribution is, coupled with the emerging markets that you just described. And that produces the results that you've alluded to. Well,
0: I'm glad you mentioned that you, what you're focused on because, to me, you're a software company. I mean, fintech, that means nothing to me anymore. You're a software company that has the best software, and you're giving it to merchants in the cheapest, cheapest form.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right in what you said. So today about 40% of the business is technology enabled where we're selling our own software. By the way, we sell it not just in restaurants, but in universities like Bucknell, for example. Right, that's true. My son just graduated last week from the University of Pennsylvania. So when I paid his tuition, I paid it with our software online. Right. And then he goes to the commissary of the cafeteria, and we are involved in that too. And we're also involved in about 40,000 schools across the United States. So that is our technology enablement. That's 40% of the company today. It's going to be 60% of the company. Right. event,
0: years. also, I thought that was great. Event organizations, community organizations, they don't know how to do it. They're cash-based. You make it so that it's so that they can accept
3: it. That's exactly right, Jim. So one of the things I think we've done a very nice job of, an active network, right. which we purchased from Vist Equity Partners in September of 17 is a great example of this. We're a complete outsourcer. So um, the YMCA, for example, Stanford University, right turns to us and says, listen, we don't know how to manage these events. We don't know how to track down consumers. We don't know how to integrate your phone where you can sign up for a triathlon on your phone, pay with your thumb, and go sign up the event. That's what you guys do. Please do that for us. As you can imagine, that's a very sticky high retention type of business, uh, business with very fair pricing.
0: Now, you've got some fabulous relationships overseas and not in traditional places. Great business in the Philippines, which is large. People are worried about Europe. But but when you have a business like uh, with a Czech bank or with a Spanish bank, those are the two hot markets. Europe is not one flavor.
3: You're exactly right in what you said. So what we're most proud of and probably one of the secrets about global payments is that a quarter of the business is outside the United States. Right. That's in Europe and that's in Asia. Our faster growth markets in continental Europe with Ersta Bank, which is based in Vienna, yeah. is in the Czech Republic where we have about half the market of the Czech Republic, in Romania uh, and the like. We have the same thing in Asia where we're across 13 markets in Asia, which is where all the growth is. In the context right. of the Philippines, as you mentioned, fastest GDP growth in Asia, faster in some cases than in China. We have 28% of the acquiring market of the payments technology market in the Philippines with our partners. So that's what's driving the outsized growth that you referred to, 15% organic revenue growth in Asia, last right. quarter 22% in Europe about you know 9% right. uh, uh, constant currency.
0: Okay, so one of the things I was thinking about, uh, your CFO had a great line of people said, well, hold on wait a second, where do I get the app? And you were saying, no, it's actually the merchant. This is not Visa or MasterCard. And it's a different kind of uh, system. You, you, you're not expected necessarily to know who Global Payments is if you're one of our viewers.
3: You're exactly right. So we're really a business to business to consumer <laughs> right. type of business at the end of the day. So we really stay behind the scenes. But increasingly in our businesses like Active or in our university business or in our schools business, we're developing the mobile app ourselves and our partners are of course using that. So for example, in the case of our restaurant business where we have 100,000 quick service restaurants just in the United States, uh, when we look at our partners like Bojangles or Whataburger, you can actually order your sandwich online, pay with your thumb and go pick it up. That's really all our stuff, to your point, we don't talk a lot about it at the end of the day because the most important thing, Jim, is the merchant. It's not global payments, obviously, we charge a fair price for that.
0: Now, uh, one last one: uh, PayPal, which you know we like very much. We like mm-hmm. Dan Schulman. You guys have a long-standing relationship with them. They just acquired a company that could make it so that they're far more competitive with Square. Will you figure it in, in the bundle?
3: Yeah. So what I would say, is they're a terrific partner of ours. I think Dan is right. a great guy, and that's a um, vision, a, a great business. Uh, the way we look at it is, first, I would say that uh, the business has always been very competitive. Right. So it's not like Barclays doesn't know how to do acquiring in the United right. Kingdom, or JPM isn't smart. Right, I mean, JPM, States. if you
0: have an account with if you have a checking account with them, it tend to like, end up being their customer.
3: That's exactly right. So we already have very smart, intensely right. competitive businesses, but to step back for a second, when you ask our folks in Europe, we just don't run into iZettle that much. And the reason for that is they tend to be a little bit like Square, really at the micro merchant level. Oh, so okay. our typical merchant worldwide, but particularly here in the United States, is about $250,000 a year of, more, of volume. So those merchants are much smaller. give you a way of comparison, um, $150 of in revenue for iZettle on 500,000 merchants. We have as many merchants. Our revenue is quadrupled. Yeah, so it just point. gives you a sense of the average size. So it's not to say it's not a good company. It's just to say that that doesn't really change the landscape the way we uh, actually operate. We expect PayPal will continue to be a great partner. All
0: right, great. I wanted to clarify that. And Global Payments, just like I said at the top of the show, is one of the consistent great companies that right now is not being rewarded but will over time. And that's what matters in Mad Money. That's Jeff Sloan, CEO of Global Payments, terrific company Mad Money's back in for the break. I left Carnival today. I say, listen, it's got a 3% yield. The company's done miraculously well. And then I watch all these not-great companies go up huge today. Why don't you just go buy CCL? I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you i find it just for you right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow!